You're listening to World Building for Masochists. And we're wondering why we do this to ourselves. Because sometimes it hurts so good. I'm Natanya Barron. I'm Cass Morris. I'm Marsha Ryan Maresca, and this is episode 119, World Building Philosophies and Practices. Listeners, Happy New Year! At the time you're listening to this, I think it's like the third or something, if you listen to it the day it comes out. Is that right? I think so. So, Happy New Year. We're transmitting May 2024 be better. May 2024 (laughs) be be always in your favor. (laughs) I feel like every year we're like, let's let's approach it cautiously. Let's... (laughs) How about don't, don't do don't make any sudden movements. Don't scare the new year. And then there's only up to go, right? Let's sneak in the back door and take off our shoes so we don't wake anybody up. Very quietly, <laughs> creep up the stairs of the new year. Yeah, that's yeah, that's <laughs> sounds about right. Look, I'm inclined to go into 2024 happily, simply because it is no longer 2023. Yeah. Yeah. I am, in fact, so eager for it to be 2024 that for about the past six weeks, I have been mentally referring to 2025 as next year. <laughs> Good plan. Good plan. Like my brain's already fo- my. I'm, I'm that far forward. <sighs> well, as it is that time, team, do any of us have any writing or world building related resolutions, goals, hopes, dreams, fancies, curses for the new year? <laughs> I mean, any that might be apl- have, any that might be applicable. I have so many goals for this year, but I had so many goals for for this past year that you know just went flying by. So hopefully this year I will get my brain back together and achieve all the things I meant to achieve this past year, and and that would be good. I'd be happy with that. But we'll see what happens. But but yeah, I'm. I did a whole thing where I, I basically like tore down all of my notebooks and such and, and started rebuilding them so that I could hopefully also reboot my brain in terms of how I'm processing and doing the process of of, of these various projects that are in my head. And I think, I mean, I think mm-hmm. I, I'm going to get ahead of myself in terms of our, our talk, but I think I tried to jump into a bunch of projects before they were really fully baked and instead of taking the time to do the work, I tried to like force the work that just happened and that didn't work. So now I'm taking a step mm-hmm. back and, and throwing away all that bad batter and, and, and making a new batch of cookies altogether. <laughs> I've been baking so many cookies. Um, <laughs> I think for me, it's, it's trying to, because I, I think I'm the opposite of you. I I try to keep it all in my head all the time. And I'm now at a point where I'm writing two different series and realizing the limits of my own brain. Um, one hits a certain age and just notices that, that things don't stick where they used to stick. And I'm spending so much time going back and looking for things. And I'm like, oh, I already searched for this. But I forgot that I searched for it. And then I forgot that I forgot that I searched for it. Um, 
So trying to make use of some better tools, I think would be really helpful for me. I found a couple of them that I really like, uh, Milanote being one of them. Um, it's very visual and I, I, I need visual. I, I don't do well with just like walls of text. It makes it feel like a wiki for me. And then it feels like work. And then if it feels like work, I'm not going to write. So yeah, I think using, using some of the amazing tools that are out there, or even, I mean, I think this is actually a good place for AI to potentially work where you can actually tell it to like find like find all the the kinds of fabric that I mentioned in this 140,000 word text, right? So I just like know like what the running thing is. I'm not actually going in there and looking for it for myself. So that's for me. Yeah. Like if they could make an AI thing that'd be a proper like virtual assistant and it could yeah. do like you could just be like do this thing that I could do but it'll take me two hours and my brain will jump away to something shiny after five minutes so mm-hmm. so it'll really take me nine days. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's what I want us yes. to focus on AI usage for. But instead, people are like, well, let's just publish crap to Amazon and replace artists i'm like how about it just like helps me go through my email like please <laughs> i just need some help it's like dear ai can you please auto unsubscribe me oh from God. these mailing lists that i don't want to be on like that i bought something from them once in 2014 and <laughs> somehow continue to receive their emails can ai do that for me mm. <sighs> yeah my 2023 was also not great for writing and i I'm sort of just moving my goals forward. I'm actually looking at my bullet journal at my list of writing related goals for this year. And uh, we're just going to close that. <laughs> we're just going to we're just going to pretend that's not there. The one thing I did that was on that list was to draft a short story. And the only reason I did that and finished it literally yesterday cuz I made you was because Marshall made me because Marshall was poking me incessantly about the world building from Masochist anthology short story that was already a month overdue. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking but about. But I, fin- I finished it. I kind of finished it. There are some holes still. It's mostly finished. It's There's a lot of brackets in there. <laughs> it's got brackets, but there are still some- I will say it's it delightful. So, yeah. Aw, you already read it? Yeah. <laughs> Aw, look at you. When I sent it at like 11 p.m. last night. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, my, my, I mean, my goal really is is to properly draft something again. And I do think I'm finally back to a place where I can do that. I had a slight, like, not quite nervous breakdown, but in the same neighborhood as that. NTB. Regarding, <laughs> yeah, like, between between the fallout of everything with Daw, and then I did manage to get the third book of the Oven Cycle out, and that was very exciting. And then after that, I was like, all right, I'm going to get back into this, and I'm going to be a better writer I'm going to be better at setting out my plots and I'm going to be efficient and I'm going to use a system. And it did not work. (laughs) I was reading all these craft books about like, you know, pre-planning your plot and how to construct it. And it was just making me miserable. Mm. (laughs) So eventually I gave up and spent a few months not doing any writing at all. And then I got back into it with NaNoWriMo this year and that actually got me back in a regular habit again. And so I'm very much hoping that in the new year, I will be able to actually work on one of the projects that I intended to work on and hoped to work on and wanted to work on this year and didn't. So that's, that is my hope and dream for 2024 is to actually be generating fresh words yeah. again. Now, did you... And it happens and you can do it. Actively take a few months off where you like gave yeah. yourself permission to not, or did you just not write and thus torture yourself no more. i actually like I did. <laughs> actually wait no i did both um 
from like April through July, I was actively torturing myself. And then I realized how badly it was going and decided, you know what? You've got some stuff coming up. I had my Star Cruiser trip in August to prepare for. And then I, I ended up writing a lot of content related to that for my Substack and stuff. So it's like, you know what? Take a few months mm-hmm. and come back to it at nano time. You know, that's a few months away. And I do think that was good. I think sort of like giving myself that permission to not be writing for a little while. Yeah. And it's important. It's a thing I think like writers don't talk about often enough. And I've talked about this book before. Chuck Wendig's um, gentle writing advice that Mm -hmm. came out this year does talk about it. And I found that so heartening and helpful to hear that like almost all writers eventually are going to hit a point where suddenly you can't do the thing Mm -hmm. that you do. And who are you if you can't do the thing that you do? And it's a scary place to be. Mm-hmm. But knowing that it's that it's normal, that this happens to people during their careers and at different points in their careers, and it might happen multiple times in a career, knowing that was, was heartening mm-hmm. was like, you know what, it's okay. It doesn't mean your career is over. It doesn't mean you're never going to write again. It just means this might be a fallow period. This is a fallow year. Mm-hmm. The soil needs to replenish itself. I think After I think about that mudslides metaphor a and lot. fires yeah, and totally. <laughs> like and, and arsenic being strewn across it. <laughs> I think I had a long time where, especially in the early days of sort of like writer social media, writer Twitter, where it seemed like everyone was just grinding all the time. It was like word counts and page counts and nano and like people were publishing. It was like this heady time, like before the twenty two thousand eight crash. Like you could get any it felt like you could get any weird book published and like no no one cared and then the publishing industry just like ruptured and i remember like self-loathing only goes so far you know like and 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 that's like hating myself for not meeting these arbitrary goals was just so detrimental to my like my relationship to writing because it really is like a long-term relationship like you have this invisible experience that no one else around you has. And I, I know when, um, when I managed to resell my queen of none book, I had this very like epiphany moment that was very emotional for me. I was driving home and I'm not a big crier, but I started crying and I realized how much of this I had done by myself. And then this was a, this was a win for me. This is a win for me alone. And there was something Mm -hmm. beautiful about this like intense emotional relationship with the text and with my love of Arthuriana and like how my family was tied up in it and my son and all that we'd been through. And instead of feeling alone, it felt really special. And it was like this really cool thing because I think for for so many of us, the solitary life, like even the most social of us, you you, you fail or succeed by your own hand. And so redefining those measures of success and exactly what you said, like giving myself permission to just walk away. Like I'm not going to even, if, if it happens, if, it, if a stroke of genius comes, of course, <laughs> but I'm so much more flexible of a writer because I have been nurturing my relationship with writing. So I think you're doing the right thing and you will write amazing things and you have written amazing things. <laughs> That's such a good way to think about it, though. Like, it is. It's a relationship, and it, it requires this, a lot of the things relationships need. The ability to communicate with oneself. The ability to take a step back and, and give yourself some breathing room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're, we're getting philosophical already. Yeah. We are getting philosophical already. Before we dive into our topic for today, we do want to make one very exciting announcement, which will have been made already. This will have been made on the website and 
and social and stuff and elsewhere. Um, but it has not been mentioned on the podcast yet. So we do want to give our congratulations to the two authors who submitted stories to the anthology that are going to be in the anthology. And we want to give our big thanks to everybody who submitted because we truly, we had so much fun reading these entries. There were some wild things. There were more otters than I expected across the entries. Fair amount of otters. There were, mo- there were at least like three otters, weren't there? Wow. <laughs> Which I think is great. And across the board, we were we were very impressed with how people approached the world and thinking about the magical nude gates and all of these exciting things. Uh, but the two stories from, from the submissions pile that will be in the anthology are Lindsay Carmichael's Merit the Resolute, possibly Merit the Resolute. Mer- Merit, it's Merit, Merit in my head. Pronunciation. But, you know, yeah. There's... It's Merit in mine. <laughs> it's more, more and, in mine. You know. That's fair. And J.C. Pillard's Music to Your Ears. So we are so happy about that um, and looking forward to getting them everything and all our contributor stuff too polished up and ready to go we are by the time you hear this episode we are in the editing process we've at least started it in the new year and have absolutely finished our stories we started it we've absolutely all finished our stories Every last <laughs> there are no brackets left in them there's not brackets left in them <laughs> it's fine it's great it's awesome everything everything will eventually be a complete finished polished story that is just another beautiful gem of you know and i mean in both reading you know the stories that we've gotten from our you know from the authors we invited and also the all of the submissions like it's i mean it's delightful how diverse and complex a world everyone imagined and the way all those little pieces fit together i mean I mean, I'm I'm really excited because this is just a f- a lot of fun stories that 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 look at took the same you know thread of an idea of what holds this world together and found fascinating different little angles to to look at it and I mean I, I I'm just really excited and so hopefully we're going to be getting everything together and in theoretically about. Six or eight? seven or eight months. months. I think our target is August to to, to actually get it in people's yes. hands. So, because you know we want the excuse to have it to pass out when flash around it, at Worldcon. Flash around at Worldcon. <laughs> if we're so lucky, if we're so lucky to, to, get to, to, go to, this year. to get to go this year to, to Worldcon again, have the which wait, by we the get way, to go listeners. regardless. Like we can get to go. <laughs> we can. <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say I didn't think there was that. Much I will of a have entry, but it's more. We no. get the excuse to like yes, be like, yes. oh, but I have I, to go. <laughs> it's much easier to justify yeah. needing to go to Scotland to my boss if I've been <laughs> nominated for something. Um, which, speaking of, listeners, you still have a few weeks. You have until January 31st if you would like to become a nominating member of the upcoming Worldcon. Uh, you have until the end of the month to become either an attending or a i forget it's it used to be supporting membership they're calling it something different this year really i thought it was still supporting but okay i don't know the one that means you 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 aren't going to scotland but you love everyone and want to vote in things anyway um so if you want to be a nominator and you are not yet you have a few weeks to do so and i will try to remember to drop links for that into the show notes just you know should you should the spirit if, move you if that's a thing you're interested in if, should, if it is should the spirit move you any interest of you to have a voice in what gets nominated for the hugos in general including in a category like fancast theoretically so cool. it would be 
just hypothetically. <laughs> so today's topic, as we have been, been weirdly sort of dancing around already, it's it's fun how that fit together with our New Year's stuff in in a, in a way I didn't intend, but yay. We are we are talking today about some of our philosophies of world building and why we world build the way that we world build. So what are some of our philosophies of world building? I'm going to stare at Marshall because I just served you a ball. That's true. You did. <laughs> to do. Though, I mean, I, I was partly just pausing, orange. just pausing to, to give Natanya the opportunity to jump in. Because part of the idea of where we were coming up with this topic, and that doesn't mean that has to be where we start, was since this is our first real sit down of just the three of us now that Natanya is on, just get sort of pick Natanya's brain of what, how she approaches things. But like... See, I was going to let not put Natanya on the spot. True, true, true. I, and let I, you talk I, about the, the gonna, podcast. In fair Verona, the, the podcast right? let's, let's, let's begin. Three houses of each alike in dignity. <laughs> hey, world building in a prologue. It's right there. 14 lines. That's all Shakespeare needs to tell you Boom. What, kind of a, what kind of a city you're in. Exactly. Bam. I mean, a big part of my philosophy is doing all the work and then trying to hide it to be as simple as you know two houses both alike and dignity and but it's that doing all the work like what does that necessarily look like i'm I'm gonna get a little salty here there was a conversation on social media just for our point of view it was just yesterday but you know it's you know for Everyone listening, this is already deep into the dark past of social media that everyone's already forgotten because it was just three weeks ago. But um, uh, another author basically posted like that doing things like doing all the world building and having a complete map and having spreadsheets of information. If it was like, that's just a waste of your time and you don't need to do it and don't do it. And... I found that like viscerally upsetting, though I didn't express myself viscerally because i don't find that productive but it upset me because it was so prescriptive it was sort of like this is the wrong way to do it and i'm definitely of the philosophy that there is no wrong way to do it there is no right way to do it there is the way that works best for each writer and for me i know that i need to really figure out my sandbox and figure out my borders and limitations and what makes the world tick so I can understand who the characters I'm putting in there, what they, what their lived reality is. Mm -hmm. So then I can figure out what their story is and doing that world building helps me find the story rather than, I mean, I, it is a perfectly valid methodology to just come up with a story and have the world bloom around it as best fits you if that's your process i'm but my philosophy is that no one's process is wrong unless it doesn't work for them Mm -hmm. and thus the any sort of prescriptive no don't do this this is a waste of your time because you're not really writing i find that not a useful thing to tell people yeah i i I really hate the yucking people's yum thing like yeah and and i i think a lot of that stems from being you know late diagnosed neurodivergent I was always the kid that went off on the tangents and like I love finding out as much as I can about things and for me world building 
is is built into that. It's like this great mechanism that I can do to kind of, I call it like my my valve, you know, like my brain valve. Like when I'm doing world building and, and doing research and trying to create these, you know, plausible situations because I'm writing a lot of historical fiction. So I have to, you know, world building still exists if you're not writing secondary worlds, obviously. Um, but that sets the scene for me. And especially um, for me in my in my personal life where it can be very, very tumultuous in, in, in my child rearing situation, um, having a time that I can actually not be writing, but be world building is a very healing experience for me because I still feel like I'm writing. It's I'm still in that space. I'm still in that world, but I don't have to be responsible for really emotional scenes or like thinking about plot points or like all of that stuff. I can kind of just take a seat back and keep constructing the set because that's, that's really what it is, right? It's, 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 it's the set that your characters are going to move through. And, and I'm, I'm with you. I really dislike prescriptive advice on anything. I've had to learn many ways to write things and I've had to change my approach many times. I've done very, very specific, like wiki style world building and other things. I was like, I just have a good idea of where it's going to go and I'll, you know, I'll figure it out as I go along. But telling people that it's a waste is, it's just not a nice thing to, to say. Like, why, yeah. why do we, why <laughs> spend your time making people feel bad for doing something they enjoy? I just like, there's a lot of things in the world that I feel the same way about, but I really don't make it, I don't want to <laughs> give airtime to that, right? Because like, I, I find that unbridled enthusiasm is far more maintainable and builds me up as a human being instead of, constantly pitting myself against things but that's just me i can understand the point of view of say like if you're doing like like making spreadsheets and figuring out all the, you know doing this you know ten thousand years worth of history if you're doing that as a method of procrastination and not totally not getting to the writing because you're like oh wait first i have to do all this first like yeah that's that is not a useful process but that's you know that's part of like the only wrong process is a process that doesn't work but completely agreed but i and i think to to give some grace to the person who was making these arguments i think that's sort of where he was going with that that is sort of like you know you don't need to do all these things and you don't have to have like a complete world saga book just to just to write your story you can you know just get into writing your story and i can understand that but i don't think there's a lot of people other than people who are of similar mindsets as ourselves and many of our listeners Mm -hmm. who are doing that kind of deep work unless they're enjoying doing that work and i mean i i think the three big questions are like are you enjoying doing it is it is doing it helpful to your process and is doing it not, you know, a form of, of avoidance. Like if, <laughs> like if you're answering yes to, to those three, then I think you're doing good things for your story. And that's what, that's what matters most. I've also got to wonder what his intended audience was. I do feel like this is an issue for more early writers, but I don't, mm-hmm. if you're publishing the way that we all here publish, I don't, I would hope, I mean, maybe some people do, but I don't, I don't feel like that. So I think we all at that point, like if you've been through the whole whole editorial process and have deadlines and have editors and and everything like that, that 
you would kind of know better than I'm just kind of where did this come from? It's, it seems so out <laughs> yeah. of nowhere. I, I don't think it's as much of a problem, right? Well, and it presented it as such a binary too right. that like the two modes are either create your entire world bible before you start drafting or just start telling your story and figure it out later. And it's like <laughs> those are not the only two options available to you. I think most of us exist somewhere in the middle of that spectrum. And I mean, I've always said, like, I'm building my dolls in my dollhouse at the same time because I need one to understand the other. I can't fully understand who my characters are if I don't know where they came from, if I don't know the world that they exist in, because that shapes them. That shapes the conflicts they're going to encounter. That shapes their instincts. That shapes what they worry about and and, and what choices they make with their actions. It's about the world around them. So I have to know a lot about that world. I don't necessarily have to know every single teeny tiny detail. And sometimes I run into something and it's like, oh, I had not thought about that before. Now I need to think about that. And with both my characters in my world, I find that if I have done enough of that base work to have an understanding of the place and the culture and the people in it, I can get to that answer pretty easily later on. You know, the one that I find mid-draft that it's like, oh, I need to figure out how they set up this particular uh, bureaucratic uh, loophole mm-hmm. that that we're that we're trying to take advantage of. It's like, okay, how'd that how'd that get there? How can they take advantage of it? If I know my world well enough, that's easy to get to because I have a sense of everything that's going on. Even if I never thought of it before, even if I never sat down and thought, like, here is the code of laws. Here, I'm going to write down all of them. Like, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> But if I understand how their system of law works, if I understand how their system of law came to be, then I know where the loops and, 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 and things right. are, are likely to be in it. You know, like, where are the pressure points? Where are the weak points? Just by understanding the the broader sense of everything. And then it's easier to get to the details. And that's how I operate. Like, that's that's just, that's where it exists for me. Yeah, it being presented as so, like, it's all one or the other. It's like, I don't... I don't think most writers work I feel on like either end of that scale. In a way, and I, and in I, a way, uh, sure. And and I certainly understand now as we're in this time of major social media transition, right, where many of us <laughs> have had to figure out what to do, and that is it. That is a good way to get people to pay attention. And having worked as a professional in social media, kind of since social media started, like people do it all the time. Big brands do it all the time. Companies do it all the time. Let's be provocative. Let's get people angry. Emotion is incredibly powerful. But I think so much of the conversation, especially really in the last couple of years, I've noticed is really away from this, like, we're not competitors, we're colleagues, right? Why would you say something like that to a group essentially of your colleagues that you would alienate an entire group of people by being so binary about something that is so nuanced. But again, nuance dies on social media, right? Like that's just... It sure does. But so much of what we deal with in world building is nuance, right? Because we talked about yeah. in, in sort of how, how we think about the, philo- the, the the philosophy of world building, when it's time to take off the gas, right? When it's time to let the story be the story, the character be the characters, and the world be the world. And finding that balance is is uh, is kind of magical and challenging. and and But it's very much what makes it when you hit that right balance that's when it's magical that's when you like mm-hmm. you know you almost can't breathe because it's so cool because you forget that this world doesn't exist when i'm reading books like that it's just 
the coolest thing when I stop thinking about craft and I stop thinking about anything. I'm just completely engrossed in this world. And they could tell me people's brains are made of hamburgers and I would believe it because it's just so <laughs> amazing. One of the things I found interesting in a lot of the responses that were supportive of the original posts was a number of people who seemed to who talked about the idea that doing your world building work ahead of time would would be a, too limiting a factor to your stories that it's like that you've now like, boxed man, I your have story exactly in. the opposite problem <laughs> and I was like that's I mean part of me is just like that's just not how it works uh in terms of you need a certain degree of like guideposts and you know borders to be able to figure out where your story's going to fit and how it's going to fit i th- i would think i mean you can say there are no rules and there can be a certain fun to that i mean i i've joked that you know the whole point of any episode of doctor who is that no matter what the situation is the doctor can snap his fingers and say oh it's the wibbly wob and everything's fine <laughs> and you know and the sort of genius is just to make it be so fun that it doesn't that you just don't care that like the solution didn't make the slightest bit of sense and it was you know timey-wimey wibbly wobbly and who cares you know we won it you know everything's great everybody lives this time and that can be a lot of fun but at the same time for most i think for most writers having that sense of structure is helpful rather than a hindrance well it's it's where conflict in the plot comes from like why can't your character do the one the thing they want to do is it because of economic concerns oh that's world building is it because of their gender oh well that's world building you've you've built gender expectations into your world or something is it because of their social status oh but you've built you've built that in like that's the all of the things that are going to present as obstacles is it because of a a physical impediment in the world there's been a flood you know, whatever everything that's going to present an obstacle is in some way i think related to the to the world and so you have to have a sense of what that is to to give your characters things to overcome but i also laughed the other thing you said about like it limiting your choices and things I have exactly the opposite problem. When I do world building, I want to tell more stories <laughs> in the world. I want to tell stories in all the corners of the map. And then I have to be like, okay, Cass, dial it back a bit. <laughs> what's the actual story you're trying to tell here? We probably don't need to know what's happening in a completely different, completely different land that will never, that doesn't touch this one. I don't need to know what's happening to these people over here it's like just focus 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 morris but the more i world build the more i want to to tell more people's stories because that's what's fun for me in it is imagining the people who inhabit the world and they all have stories yeah like if that's i mean and if that's not lighting you on fire then yeah you don't want to do that kind of and not to get too denigrating of that people make these sorts of comments but you know to go to our big philosophy here on the show of choose versus presume i wonder how many people say like oh that limits your you know you don't want to box in your choices by doing these you know too much world building how much of what they consider normal what how many presumptions are they are they thinking of is like that's just what this is supposed to be so why are you why are you messing with the formula why are you why are you mm. doing things instead of just you know accepting all the presumptions that we're bringing it to to what fantasy is supposed to be and 
creating something that is presumption heavy rather than choice heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think that ties into something we've talked about before in some episodes about like the difference between world building and lore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like writing your thousand years of genealogy is lore. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's going to overlap with world building because, okay, we've got a culture that has a thousand years of records or something like that tells us something about the world or thinks they do or made it up, which is a thing. But that is not the world building that's going to affect your characters. That's that's not the bit that right. matters. And I think people sometimes get those things confused. <laughs> or that if you've done all this lore work, that you're just going to dump it all into the book because you've done it. So therefore it has to go <laughs> into the story. <laughs> that's what Patreon is for. Right, yeah. Like <laughs> That's where the appendices go. Well, and, like, I, and I wonder if part of this is because of a limited idea of what world building is. And yeah. maybe maybe it's the sort of Tolkienian, you know, I wrote a language and then I figured out I had to write a book because people probably wouldn't give crap about my language if it didn't have people talking it, right? And and I can see what that sort of the, for lack of a better term, the neck beardy kind of like, I just want to <laughs> sit here and like talk about, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I want to talk at you about this world that I've created instead of like, I want to tell you about the people and the stories. So... But, that, but world build, that's limiting world building. And I think... When I was first coming up in, 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 in this community, I remember finding the term speculative fiction and finding it, I thought it was just the coolest coolest way to talk about how I saw fantasy in particular and being boggled that people would write entire fantasy worlds and have the same exact gender d- dynamics that we have in our current American culture or that, you know, same concepts of same-sex marriage. Like, And I'm like, you literally could do anything. Like speculative fiction is literally telling you <laughs> You can do anything you want. Hamburger brains or whatever, you can do it. And people, again, presuming and using the status quo, using their comfort level of privilege Mm -hmm. and of industrialization and racism and all of these things and missing out on such huge opportunities. And we we talked about this a little bit before, um, which was part of, I think, what got us thinking about this. But my first panel ever that I was on in 2010 was next to a a very well-reputed author on a panel about world building because it's always been something that I really love I mean just like everyone else it was Narnia and Madeline Langle and Lloyd Alexander and Tolkien who I fell in love with their worlds as much as their people and to hear this person who had written dozens and dozens and dozens of books tell an entire audience that he never makes anything up he just steals beat for beat from various historical situations and writes over that with speculative fiction and I'm like Okay, I love taking from history. I love plausibility. I love because history is always so much wilder than things we could ever create. But to literally say I have no, no creative deviation from anything that's actually happened broke my heart in a way. And I remember disagreeing with him and I was this nobody and he was a very much somebody. (laughs) And I realized that that my concept and my friends concepts and things we've had all these conversations was about challenging what's happening now by imagining other better or worse worlds. And that's what makes stuff like The Handmaid's Tale so incredible. Uh, Whatever you think about people that wrote it, and I know people are controversial, but still this idea that it's a few clicks away from what is here now. And it is this horrific dystopia for certain people, right? What, I, what I'm saying is that I think that there's a lack of courage for a lot of people to ask the difficult questions and to sit in that discomfort and figure out 
how to still tell stories that are entertaining to them uh, and deciding what to change. So, yeah, I, I have two thoughts about like that, that never make anything up, just steal from history thing, which is a, if you're going to do that, why aren't you just writing historical fiction? Like just go write your story about William the Conqueror, if that's what you really want to do. And then B, whose history are you telling? <laughs> which, which history are you stealing? Because I bet I can guess. Mm. <laughs> you know? And I bet I can guess who it isn't. I bet I can guess whose history you have never even thought about. You have never bothered to wonder nope. about the lives of some of these people. I bet you're looking at the shiny men on their shiny horses <laughs> and just picking the most boring pieces of history, frankly, rather than the weird bits. Like you said, Natanya, like history is so fucking strange. There are such weird things in it. I, I like I said, like with 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 the the meme about people being, you know, always thinking about the Roman Empire, as I am. Although I'm actually usually thinking about the Roman Republic, because it was in many ways weirder. Um, but yeah, they're always like, it's like they're always thinking about the emperors and the manly centurions and doing their conquery thing. They're never thinking about the priests of Attis who self mutilated themselves, chopped off their genitals, and ran around the city throwing them into people's doorways. That was a thing. <laughs> That was a cult. <laughs> that happened. <laughs> like, they're not thinking about those guys. <laughs> I wish they were, because it's way more entertaining. Like, yeah, I, this is weird stuff that people did. And this is what you can use in your world building. Yeah. Like, make your people weird. They're not all the same. They're going to do strange things. They're going to do things that you could not predict. And and that's where you get to have fun. Like, if you are going to steal from history and respin it, pick weirder history. <laughs> I mean that we you run into that in medieval stuff all the time, and I I, I love illuminated manuscripts. I I studied them extensively. I find the whole thing just amazing, and it's so funny when I share these bizarre to me they're beautiful, strange, wonderful. People are always like, "Well, they must have been on drugs back then." I'm like, "Or just people are weird." Did you like? Have you ever looked at children's drawings? Like the human imagination is incredible, and if your life is stuck at a scriptorum in in a monastery. And you don't have anywhere else to go. You're going to look out the window and see a snail and see a squirrel and then see your brother monk and go, well, what if I sewed them all together and gave them a loot? And it looks amazing. And then you've got these things like the Lutrell Salter, but people are always like, oh, it must have been Ergot. It must have been something like, or people are just the coolest thing about human beings is how weird we are. And the weirdness, unfortunately, gets written out of history. And if you got your bingo card... Blame the Victorians because they, they they really they they wanted the beauty and the 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 elegance of the Middle Ages mm-hmm. and and time passed, but they did not want the deeply troubling and sometimes strange, most often strange stuff in marginalia. But like, I so want to know with so many of those of those manuscripts and things, like how many of those were actually references to like inside jokes at the monastery? So many, like. Like, these guys just joked about the snails all the mm-hmm. time. And then they started drawing the snails on their manuscripts. Because, like, that's how people operate. Like, when we have a shared language, a shared thing, it's not going to get written down. But it's it's there in in the sides. And, and that's what's hilarious. I've, I've said before, I work with children um, at a camp where we encourage them to be imaginative and think about mythology and things. And that means they start a lot of cults. <laughs> they will, as they do. Like, 10-year-old children just love to start cults they they will worship snails they will worship turtles they will worship rocks they will worship 
the idea of bacon. Like, it's just, like, it's wild. Mm -hmm. Because this is what people do. People instinctively get weird. Have you had a child declare herself queen and then all the other children worship her? No, because usually the other children, like, want to rebel or form an opposing kingdom or something. Like... (laughs) We start getting factions. That, that that happened one year at our camp, which was a Spanish camp. So there was no reason for anyone to declare themselves queen. But she did. And then that became the theme for that whole session. There's some strong Spanish queens. Just saying. I mean. That's true. We That's had, true. We had, we had a neighborhood coven uh, of kids about two summers ago. Uh, and it was it was a, a she's and they's, you know, like this, this beautiful, very inclusive Coven, there was a there was a spell book, there were candles, there were, you know, rituals, and these are eight-year-olds, and it was, I'm sure, absolutely magical. And when I was informed of this, I just felt like an amazing parent. And I was like, of course, you can capture fairies and have your coven meetings in my porch anytime you want. But it's wonderful. Just don't bring the fae inside the house. That's you know, we have boundaries for a reason. And don't eat the food. That's what salt and iron are for. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, but like this is like when you're thinking about world building, make it weird. What are the things that the actual people who live in your world are doing? And what are they doing when no one's looking? What are they doing when they're (laughs) fucking off work? When they're supposed to be doing something else? What are they doing when they're breaking rules? And to know what they're doing when they're breaking rules, you have to know what the rules are. So you have to build that into your world to know what's transgressive. Mm -hmm. But that's where you have fun. That's that's where... That's where the delight is in it for me most of the time. Well, it's like, yeah. hmm, who's misbehaving in this world? Well, and I was I was talking with a writer friend um, this this week who who writes scripts, not not books, but there's so much in common. And I was saying, you know, she was sort of struggling with a, a little bit of just like getting into the characters and kind of like breaking through this uh, the struggle. And one of the things that I was thinking a lot about, as I do driving in my car, because that's when all my good thoughts happen. Um, is it's not just the stories of the world. Like the, the stories of the world are very, very important, but it's the stories that the characters are telling themselves. Because, and maybe this comes from a traumatic religious upbringing, I don't know, but probably uh, lots of things go that route. But how we interpret and how we feel in relationship to those stories is so important, which is where that character quotient is so essential in what you're doing. Because you don't want to come across as a stranger in your own land. I mean, you can have that character and then that's a very powerful way to introduce a world and everything like that. But the characters that are lived in, they have relationships with that world. They have their experiences, certain stories resonated with them at certain times. And then they, you know, Job is a great example from the Bible, right? People talk about, oh, difficult times like Job, right? I'm a Job person. If you tell yourself that you are Job, that you are constantly doing all kinds of things being swallowed by whales and you know all, all the, nine, the, the the whole nine yards of being tortured presumably by god for for no apparent reason um that shifts your worldview it shifts the way that you interact with the world you know you come across something and it becomes a, a, an impediment and not an opportunity right and so much of the worlds that we build, you can have a mythology, but not everyone is going to react to that mythology in the same way not everyone's going to agree I mean look how many different kinds of christianity there are i mean it is it is exhaustive we think that the the islamic world is complicated oh my god like there's a list somewhere of every single sect and it's it's fragments upon fragments upon fragments very long so long and you have literally people being murdered for constantly for just 
disagreeing on one subtle difference about, about you know, like the Anabaptists. And then, you know, you had the, mm-hmm. the, just over and over and over and over again, people literally dying for little tiny decisions that are different. And, and that can extend to your mythological world, even if it's a kind of world where maybe gods walk among people, but maybe this guy doesn't give a shit. And he's he flips off the god every time he walks through town. Like, that's going to change. There's always that guy, right? There's always that mm-hmm. guy. Um, because he didn't he didn't get the blessing when he was supposed to get the blessing and his mom died. Like, there's always, there's so many ways that you can spin off these eddies into the story. And it's so much about that. Like, I'm telling my story. I'm telling my story of how I am in the world. And... Not to be like all new wavy, but really your person, what is reality, right? (laughs) What is reality, but our perception of time, which doesn't exist. It's just entropy, right? We're just existing. We're experiencing entropy as living creatures. (laughs) So it's amazing how much your and your characters can Mm. warp that world and warp their own narrative and change the narratives of people around them. Like you, that's the kid that's a bad seed, right? That changes their lives sometimes because one person can say that. And then it like, again, those stories that we're telling each other. And that's to me where world building becomes so, so powerful is watching how those characters navigate the limitations. Cause when you talk about creating worlds with, with no limitations, right. That, that speaks to a place of like, incredible privilege because i don't think true lack of limitations there's no egalitarian society um you can try unless your human beings are completely blameless and ethically pure but then that's not a very interesting story is it if everyone's just happy all the time you talking about characters having different interactions with how the world even works and all that i'm reminded this is a thing that you'll get a lot is I will be reminded of some movie from the eighties. Um, <laughs> there's a movie called Eric, the Viking. Um, ah. It's a, it's one of Tim Robbins early movies where he plays the titular Eric, who is a Viking who has realized that, that um, Ragnarok is coming and thus wants to stop it. And so he gets all of his, the, the men from the village and they, get their boat together and they're going to go sail to the end of the world so that they can then blow a horn and summon Asgard and tell the gods to stop with Ragnarok. But one of the people that goes with them is, is the Christian missionary. And because he does not believe in this stuff, like the, the fantastical things that happen literally don't affect him. So like, like they blow the horn and like this giant castle drops down and they're like, like look at that can't he's like what are you talking about and like walks through the wall and it like literally can't touch him because they're literally in different realities yeah. <laughs> and like <laughs> then they're talking to the gods and the gods are like crushing them but they tell him like no go and blow the horn he's like this means nothing nothing is happening like but you're the only one who can escape because the walls <laughs> don't touch you so like that's how they win in the end is because this guy who doesn't even believe because he doesn't believe it doesn't the reality of them doesn't affect him and it's sort of brilliant that way there, there there's also a running gag where there's a cloak of invisibility that doesn't work except it works on the missionary oh, <laughs> like wow. he's like he's the only one that doesn't see the person wearing the cloak of in- invisibility 
it's it's a delightfully weird movie. It's it's Monty Python. Adjacent. It sounds like it. It is Monty Python adjacent. <laughs> it's like two of the people from Monty Python are the mm-hmm. ones who who made it. So that gives you an idea that, that tracks. of the kind of movie we're talking about. That tracks. Sounds like something I would enjoy, actually. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. But yeah, to the broader point of that, <laughs> <laughs> I think it does speak to how like good world building and my world building philosophy is very much about that diversity of viewpoint and experience in in a world because worlds and cultures are not monoliths they're not like all the same not everybody in a country in a city thinks the exact same things and that's why some like world building questions that you might get like what's the food like and it's like well i need i need more information before i can answer that question for whom What's the food like for the rich people on this side of the river versus the rich people on that side of the river versus the poor people versus the in-between versus the immigrant quarter? Like what? I need more information from you before I can answer that question. Because no, 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 in no society ever has everyone thought exactly the same way. And I think that's another thing that like when people presume when they layer on ye olde medievally pastiche... <laughs> It tends to assume that, like, everyone in ye olde medievally times believed the same things and thought the same ways about things. And it's like, ooh, would you like me to tell you about the many, many schisms, about the Albigensians? <laughs> or, or yeah, like, it's just, it's just so, I don't know. That's what I find limiting in world building is when people don't... Don't, don't try. Don't take enough angles into mm-hmm. it. Yeah, well, when they don't <laughs> put enough angles into it, yeah. like... <laughs> Then it's like, why are you bothering? Then it's like, why like, why are you even doing this to yourself if you're not creating a full and interesting world? I think the, the lived-in quality is so important in that, in that respect, right? Like, because when places are lived in, they're not perceived as epochs or anything we were talking about before, right? This, this idea of, were you in the Regency going, I'm in the Regency. This is a great Regency <laughs> time that we're having right now. I feel very Regency-ish. Um, no, they, they don't they don't see that. Uh, they're much more focused on on politics and religion, on families, right? That's that's what most most of human history has been. The the family, whether that's the, the village family or the, the town family or your nuclear family, which is a new concept anyway. Um, and, and not again, not all people's see that was one of the coolest things that i saw relatively recently was uh we have a very western idea of like my parents my grandparents my great aunts my great uncles my cousins but there are many cultures in the world where that doesn't exist and it's actually by entire generations i think i want to say it's new zealand i could be wrong i'm probably wrong someone will probably point it out but it was i do know that it was uh island pacific island area where everyone in your parents' generation has the same relationship to you. You give the same amount of respect to your parents, their brothers and sisters. They are all the same level. And how how different that is in that you were literally raised by this other generation instead of your parents are responsible for you 100%, right? You're screwed up because your parents were screwed up. <laughs> and I was thinking about that in terms of world building and how Familial relations, for the most part in fantasy, are a very white, very Western, very French and English, mostly a little bit of Spanish in there. But you go beyond that and you look into the ancient world 
and it's it's so much more nuanced than that and it gives us so much more opportunity but we tend to stay where it's comfortable right we tend to stay where where that is and and it really like i was saying earlier it it is harder it is harder to to do something that's going to make the world feel that much more alien but i don't know there's so many examples to me of books that took that risk and it was life-changing to read those kinds of stories and those kinds of books because it refused to play to that common strain i guess i was thinking about trying trying to move a little bit into the into the worlds that that we've read that are really good examples that was what i was sort of thinking but mm. see you say that in every book i've ever read falls just out falls of out of the brain brain entirely yeah. it's like i've never read a book ever i mean i thought about this beforehand so I'll, I'll just throw a couple out that that are vastly different that i that challenged me hugely and made me want to write as a, a better world builder um mm. one is the broken earth trilogy nk jemison broke so many rules of what a fantasy world is supposed to be like uh humanoids that are rocks <laughs> that are named after rocks you know like this geology that's literally the world itself is kind of breaking apart at the seams i mean just blew my mind and then on top of that to have this literary conceit that is very difficult to break into right multiple points of view multiple tenses you know really playing with language and still telling this incredibly cohesive incredibly emotional story that you know echoed in my bones when i was reading it and jemison's work has a habit of doing that just kind of having this this movement between really almost distant and kind of not in a bad way but distant in this sort of like world buildy kind of way and then these incredibly intense emotional moments that i just love and then the other is uh tamsin muir with the the gideon the ninth books and it's very polarizing and i think she's a really good example of it really works for some people to have that level of what the hell is going on because so much of those books is just dropping you into a world with comic books and swords and spaceships and time time travel and gods and mechanized god maybe like fabricated gods and then body switching and like brain surgery (laughs) like i mean it's a lot i can understand for some people that that's a turnoff but for me reading the level of craft was completely and utterly like jaw-droppingly amazing and then on top of that to have snappy dialogue and insanely witty stuff and then moments of language that are so beautiful that I would rewind the audiobook to just play the sentence again <laughs> because it was just it was a perfect sentence and I think that combination of skill as a writer and confidence in that world building that ability to to challenge us and to talk about things in ways that we'd never thought about doing it's just that's 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 the best possible scenario in the world for me I love it <laughs> One thing that comes to mind is uh, um, Seth Dickinson's Trader Brew Cormorant. I haven't read the the follow up books yet. I really ought to. It's but like I just remember just looking at the map, and the map itself is just a brilliant bit of world building. In that, my first glance at the map, I thought like these names are all over the place in terms of like like linguistic style, and and I'm like, wait, this is supposed to be an empire that has taken over a ton of different places and just stolen names from everywhere. So of course, every name, place name is going to feel like 
it belongs to a completely different culture because it did and they just stole it but the other great part about the map is the map then has this this additional layer to it where the main character has written her notes of each place on the map of just like these people suck these people have good (laughs) and but like everything about that one just he does brilliant work in in the world building of that one i think I actually just recently read, um, after the, the Mer Lafferty was a guest on the podcast, Red Station Eternity. Ooh, and yeah, that's the, a fun one. The way that the aliens are approaching mm-hmm. that one is really interesting. And you are getting the fish-out-of-water experience of learning about them because you're seeing the human who is the outsider in this alien environment. So that one was really fun. And then I was thinking about A Memory Called Empire mm-hmm. and the way that one approaches language floored me gobsmacked me i thought it was so so interesting the way that the the way that language is used in the society in that book reflects so much about the culture and the world building and and how they came to be using language in that way um absolutely loved that that was one that just absolutely took me and i was like oh this is so cool this is so cool i want to write this cool i also this is this is sort of world building the goblin emperor and the way that the pronouns are used in that when they use like thee and thou and, and things. And I wish I was brave enough to do that because it is such a it's such a cool thing to be able to communicate the informal pronouns <laughs> in addition to the formal pronouns and like that stuff. That's so cool. And I I've been trying to convince myself to be brave enough to try something like that in especially in, like the Shakespearean project I'm working on. Like that is so intrinsic to, to that type of language. And it's like, am I brave enough? Am I brave enough to try that? I know how to use these words. Can I? Yes, you can. I don't know if I'm yeah, brave. I'm yes, you brave can. Enough. You are that brave. Try to be brave enough. You are that brave. <laughs> if you're asking if you're brave enough, the answer is yes. Because brave people don't ask that question. Or not, not sorry, cowards mm. don't ask that question. They just don't do it. We've also reached the point of the podcast where we just gas each other up and, you know, you can do it. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it, Cass. We've also reached the point where we should transition to Natanya telling us we should. about, since we've been building the amazing magical nude gate on air all this time, and now that you're here, you get to, to make a part of it your part of it and and, and add your your own particular brilliance to it so well um, where is it going to be and tell us about it so well i I want i didn't want to do all of the thinking because i thought it'd be fun to kind of (laughs) you know work work on it a little bit as we're as we're talking here but i maybe it's the holiday season or whatever but i am loving zone 14 um love the idea of the taiga this idea of forests and uh winters and um i'm a little bit of a weirdo around the holidays my favorite holiday album is actually a tori amos album called native invader which i seem to believe in my head somehow is a holiday album it does have a lot of christmas imagery but the first uh the first song is called the reindeer king and uh it's all about the reindeer king and so i'm a huge fan of naomi novik uh spinning silver and all of her books and sort of thinking about these worlds that are, you know, these cultures that live in these societies of of trees, uh, but also cold. Um, And I just, I love, I love that particular setting where 
you have to think a lot about food scarcity, but also other things are not scarce at all, right? Uh, you don't have to worry about water. You don't have to worry about wood. You don't have to worry about um, a lot of these things that that bring you. But this, but also the sort of there's the, the I've always loved sort of the long house, the 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 hall of people being being together in a very cold environment, being able to connect over things and and the sort of communal life. So those were some of the things that I was thinking about about that particular area. And I, I like the that. number 14. <laughs> but I love trees and I spend a ton of time in the woods. Um, and I listen to audiobooks in the woods. And I know, like, I have all these paths in the woods that I remember meeting different characters or reading different stories um, at certain corners. And it's like this very, very nerdy thing that I love that I keep it to myself. We could use a good woodsy culture. Yeah. We, we don't really have that. Like, I, I've kind of got my, my river folk and Griast is very Mediterranean. Alnatlir was very archipelago islands, but more cityfied. I think probably like we could we could use some good forests. We could use some good people living in there. And do they have domesticated reindeer? I think they should. I think I, I love. <laughs> well, and reindeer have that that amazing gyre thing that they do, right? Where they like run in a circle. Um, when they're when they're agitated, I have no idea. Tell oh, me more. It's this, it's, this, it's this it's this herd behavior. If you the second Frozen film actually shows it, but it's actually true what happens. Um, and I know the the culture that they use there is is very much based on the Sami, um, which are the the indigenous folk of of the uh, of Scandinavia. Um, but there are they, they to protect. Uh, I believe it's to protect their. I got to go back and look at it. But they create this gyre where they just like go in circles. Um, and ants do that too sometimes and they do it to the point that they die but reindeer do it not to the point that they die but reindeer are incredibly intelligent and not just uh, because of the holidays and things like that they, and they're an incredible resource as well um, so I like the idea of, of domesticating animals um, and and not just you know just eating them but the, I also love like the the image of like elk with the huge horns and the sort of like very proto-human, you know, we have tattoos from, you know, ancient mummies that are this, the sort of branching horns and this sort of idea of time and branching and thinking of a culture that can, can kind of appreciate that, like the sort of reverberations of the world, the branching of, of that and how reindeer branch, rain, reindeer uh, horns look and, and elk horns also kind of look like trees which also kind of look like roots and this idea of that like it also looks like our lungs and the and the blood vessels in our bodies and the sort of unity of a nature design right it's not, not science in this particular world but nature itself has certain patterns that 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 reverberate and of course i was thinking about patterns and clothing um i was thinking that in this world there should be some spiders that make some special silk or something that makes special silk that can only be found like in the treetops right something that you have to like so very difficult to find, but very, very uh, prized kind of material that maybe it's fireproof or maybe it's like some, something cool about it that that makes it very prized and, and, and expensive. And like hard to cultivate, hard too, because to you, you can't like bring it down no. and, and farm it. It's like it's got it. There's something about the atmospheric conditions and, and the moisture or mm -hmm. something that that makes it what it is. I like that. Do your people have any like rituals that are developed? about these these branching connections and things i think a lot of it is in song so i do love Ooh. me some singing people i come from a very musical family and i love the idea of 
like family songs, like every family has a song, right? And and they're sort of cultivating and growing their songs. And as you're born, you become part of the song. But eventually you marry or have children and then you then add to that song. So it like, but kind of in a way that they know that eventually parts of your song will be gone, right? That it's this idea that it is a constantly evolving part of their culture. Um, and I like the idea of like being in the woods and you can identify people by their songs or their bird song calls or something like that, that there's like, you recognize people by, by the sounds. So I do tend to play bard classes. I admit bards <laughs> or warlocks. Um, so maybe they're a little bit of both. <laughs> bard locks. Do they, do they build their homes in the trees or at, you know, still at ground level? Or I think still at ground level. I, th- I thought about trees, but I feel like it's a little overdone. And it's really hard. like, it's a cool concept, but it's much harder to maintain, especially in a really freezing climate. Um, you want to be lower to the ground where fires are safer and um, not going to just like take out everybody. I think in a tropical environment might potentially work better. But if we're talking about, um, you know, I think I think being lower to the ground is also warmer. It's like, you know, how dogs dig into the ground to get warmer mm-hmm. when it's cold. Um, so, so conservation of, of heat and things like that. That's a good world building consideration too, which is like the idea of, of houses up in the trees is fun, but since it's so much harder than building houses on the ground, like why, what would be the reason that your people would need to build their Mm -hmm. houses way up high? Um, and there could be reasons. Predators are always, yeah, I, yeah. I I was thinking, I was thinking (laughs) just the spider silk, you know, farming, to be nearer to yeah. it, yeah, yeah. Or maybe but... that's the maybe that's the equivalent of of miners there. That like rather yeah. than yeah. going down, they have to go oh, up like and that. live up there, you know. And that's that's a sacrifice you have to make to be able to. Ooh, get I like the that. Sink. I like that. That there's this, and they come down maybe a couple times a year, but they really have to be up there, to, and maybe there's like a whole system of like silk processing on the way down the canopy right there's like sort of a, a process there i also like the idea that there's certain animals that can like, kind of like truffle hunters that can find these silk areas so maybe they're like lemurs or something that you know are are used to help i love animals i'm sorry i'm not sorry at all because I, I read a poem about a dog today and i cried because i love my dog so much <laughs> i don't cry that much but today i cried like twice um but uh, but yeah, I, I like this idea. I, I love symbi- like symbiotic relationships, um, kind of like how cats and dogs obviously have, have evolved, uh, mostly dogs. Cats questionably have evolved beside us. They've sort of tolerated us. They might <laughs> still be like mid-evolution, yeah. um, frankly. <laughs> but I love this idea of like, you know, animals that do things that we can't do, that, that give us mm. protection or that give us access. So maybe maybe it is, you know, lemurs or flying squirrels or something that have been trained to actually go and, and kind of find and, you know, even, even grab some of these uh, silk things. And then, and then of course the whole culture around weaving and storytelling and songs. And I was thinking about having materials that actually have songs written on them. So you can, you can actually record songs in maybe it's plaid or something like that, that has a certain language that people of that culture can then see and then know where you're from. Because I'm a fabric nerd, as we have very much already established. <laughs> are all songs things to be shared, or are some of them secret? No, I think there's definitely secret songs. I would love mm-hmm. to be a total romantic, and that you write a song for the person that you love that they only hear. 
I, that was exactly where my brain went, right? And Cass has that question. It's like, is there, Aww. is there the intimate song that that is? Yeah, and that is not where my brain went. <laughs> my mine went darker places. <laughs> my mine went like I don't know, hidden knowledge. That too, even religious type things like. You have to be inducted into a certain brotherhood or whatever to, to learn certain songs. And I think I think that would be really cool. You two are much sweeter than I am. <laughs> I mean, I also thought of like the dark song of Terrible Secret that you like whisper to someone right before you kill them. Just cause, like, I love ah, that there too. we go. See, that's, well, and I was thinking like war songs because I, 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 oh, I, I know we're, we don't do we don't like to go too much into the world of conflict, but I like the idea of sort of warring tribes, like the same people, but warring tribes, you know, and that, yeah. you know, there's certain, certain songs that you only sing when you like, you intend to kill someone. And if you hear those people singing that song, you know, it's going to be a mess, you know, if, if you don't figure something out pretty soon. Um, that would be terrifying to just like hear that song coming across yeah. the dark woods yeah. and you can't see them yet, but you can hear their music. That'd be terrifying. I, I read love a it. lot of Finnish horror, and I think that's some some of the some of the places that that came from is like that idea is is very much the like this thing is coming towards you and you cannot stop it. And this and sound is so powerful, right? Sound. Oh god! Like yeah. gosh, I I of course hyperfixated on cymatics for a while, right? Like certain resonances make certain shapes in sand. Um, like we know that there are just vibrating shapes that literally are the sort of resounding all around us all the time so there's some some kind of power in that that i think is 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 really amazing and then certain sounds just make us feel certain ways i've I've always had a very connected sense to music and i thought that everybody had you know the frisson when they listen to music um but a lot of people don't but i have a very like if, if i'm with around live cellos it's almost too much for my brain to handle like i'm so impacted by it on a physical level like constant goosebumps to hear cellos in person that it's kind of overwhelming <laughs> so so yeah musical instruments would be cool to have as well especially things that are made of the trees right there's so much you can do pine is a great uh and fir and but I, the other thing was that i love the, this is the last thing that i thought about i promise um was aspens right so aspens which we can always you know it doesn't have to be exact but how aspens are one one being right so the largest organisms on earth are actually aspen colonies they're all one thing and this idea of the branches that i was talking about earlier of this like connectedness i think is pretty would be really cool to have sort of aspens in that in that aspect maybe we call them something else but i like trees <laughs> i like it this is a fun, I love it. A fun culture it's a good addition I, I i do have one more question that sure. I, since we mentioned like a song that you sing it's an intimate song what do they only marry in pairs or do they branch in their marriages? I think they can branch in their marriages. But I think I, I, I very much want to take from from what we know of some Celtic history and Gallic history of uh, that you have to be able to support people, right? Emotionally, sexually, mm-hmm. physically. You can't just collect wives or husbands because it's it's cool. Everyone has to be happy. And everyone has to agree to this because it is sort of the foundation, but it is encouraged if possible. And I don't think, I don't, I don't, I always prefer, I I think it's more fun to write a culture that has like, there's sort of sex and there's procreation and there's pleasure, but these are not things that have morality connected to them. Like, you know, 
it's it's not like oh god he looked at her wife and she's and he was clearly attracted to her and it's like i mean that does happen <laughs> of course he was there's, there's, who there's, isn't there's, this is a place where people are nude uh <laughs> more often than not um but i was wondering like being newer to the to the nudie world <laughs> um i like the idea of having this be a more difficult to access place that there just are mm. not as much so there, there's a little bit less cultural permeation it doesn't never happen obviously um but there's not a lot of reason for people to come there or maybe more recently there have been more and this is like a chat like figuring out how Ah. to how to manage the fringes of this world right versus some of our other cultures which are like oh yeah we've been doing this for tens tens of hundreds of years at this point this is more like it's been in, in recent memory where it was like maybe monthly and now it's like every week we're meeting new people (laughs) and like adjusting to that. I think that's a fun place to play in of like, how is a culture Mm -hmm. adapting to sudden change? And maybe that's because I'm an elder millennial and I, you know, experienced (laughs) the internet boom as a young adult and seeing the world change in this cataclysmic way. And then seeing other, my my parents and, and my grandparents trying to figure out how they fit in this world that felt like it was sort of moving past them. I have one more question that you may not have an answer for yet, and that's fine. What shall we call this this land, these people? How shall we refer to them? I, I've come up with a couple of names, but I'm going to have to wait till the right one fits because... Uh, that's legit. That's fair. That's our, that's our, listeners fair. Will learn, <laughs> our listeners will learn that names are something that I spend an inordinate amount of time on. <laughs> and every character and everything that I write has some kind of provenance or reason to have their name. And sometimes it's an inside joke with myself. Um, <laughs> valid. So uh, valid. Absolutely valid. So, I've done that. So, yeah. yeah, literally have a character named Calvin who's bald because that means bald head. Um, yeah. So uh, most people would never notice it, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> the number of dumb jokes I've embedded in character yeah. names. Yeah. 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 One of these days I want to name someone Cameron Kennedy because it means crooked nose, ugly head. (laughs) Delightful. So on that note, yeah, I will, I will, I will definitely do some research. I have, I want something kind of short. I like the idea Mm -hmm. of sort of like, it just means land or just means our land or the land. Um, So I'll have to go look into some languages and then find something to pillage. uh, Because that's okay sometimes. So yes. So 14 for now ish. And, uh, I love it though. It's great. I'm glad you like it. Hopefully, maybe we can get some like songs and stuff. That would be super cool, right? And we will look forward to learning more about this land and all the rest of our world as this podcast continues. I can't wait. Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of World Building for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all of that information is at our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. 
We're on Twitter and Blue Sky as at WorldBuildCast, and our email is WorldBuildCast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.